Well, we want to welcome everybody again to yet another episode of the Blue Banter Podcast, a podcast where we're striving to introduce the members of the RPCNA to the pastors of the RPCNA and to glean wisdom for young and aspiring pastors uh, by interviewing men with ministry experience and asking them informative questions. I am one of your co-hosts, Joe Smith, the pastor of Westminster Reformed Presbyterian Church in Westminster, Colorado. My name is Aaron Murray, pastor of Marion Reformed Presbyterian Church here in Marion, Indiana, promised land of the north. We have Today, our guest, Martin Balaki. Martin, you're uh, one of the pastors there at North Hills uh, RP Church in uh, Pennsylvania. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Uh, we're uh, we're happy to have you. I know we've been trying to get you on here for some time. Glad that uh, our schedules finally lined up and we were able to uh, make this happen. Um, I want to respect your time, so we're going to jump right into these questions here. And this first question comes uh, from really what we heard, Joe and I heard from you at the seminary. You know, you come into a number of the classes there and, and you talk about this issue. Um, so as I asked the question, I wonder if you could give us a little bit of um, kind of your experience, even as you answer the question uh, for us. So the question is, how should members of our churches seek to minister to families who have children with uh, special needs? And then there's other sub-questions to that, but uh, I, I'll just give this to you and you run with it and answer it however you see fit. The hesitation right now is uh, it's a, it's a huge, <laughs> because it's a huge question. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe the best way to um, begin the answer here is just to give a little bit of my background. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe each of you men um, know it, but not necessarily everybody listening will, will um will understand um, our circumstances. Um, so uh, I would have to reach back. Uh, I'll try to keep the history somewhat short, but uh, we came to a seminary from your neck of the woods, Aaron. Um, we were um, original members, uh, or even may, might say kind of founding members of the core group at uh, at Elkhart out there in Great Lakes Gulf. And... Uh, <sighs> Without getting into my personal history, the decision was made to uh, come to seminary back in uh, 1999, 98, actually. And uh, at that time, we discovered that we were expecting um, uh, children. And um, I jokingly say brood A, brood B. Our boys were at that point, uh, I recall, seven or eight years old. Um, My math may be slightly off. Um, And... uh, we discovered we were expecting twins. We quickly found out that it was um, a uh, high-risk pregnancy, um, cutting to the chase without all the narrative. Uh, what ended up happening is um, my daughter Miriam um, and Mary um, had something called twin-to-twin transfusion, which is where the two umbil- umbilical cords are connected. Uh, one baby gets all the nutrition. You would think the one without nutrition would die, but it's the reverse. Uh, the one with all the nutrition or the majority of it can't handle it. So Miriam died in the womb. And then in the ensuing months, um, there were uh, two or three blood clots that passed back over the um, umbilical cords. And Mary had several strokes in utero. And so Mary was born um, uh, severely brain injured. Um, I can't, uh, I guess I could try to give a, a visual picture, uh, but do it with words. Uh, if you can just simply imagine the brain stem, uh, leads to the midbrain 
And then uh, from there, uh, you have your cortex, cerebellum, et cetera. Mary's basically was missing her entire cortex and um, most of her cerebellum. There was a, a sliver on the MRI and even her midbrain was impacted. So uh, Mary was a very, very complicated um, child. And uh, yes, the past tense was used. Um, I think you men know that Mary died um, synod of uh, twenty. 22. Um, and so um, our background is, and why this question I think is is one that I, I bring some degree of experience and um, um, I don't know what word to put in there. Um, anyway, uh, credibility or whatever um, to, to speak to this is that uh, for uh, close to 23 years, uh, we cared for Mary and that was um, a, a 24 seven proposition. I mean, it literally was, um, but I don't think the point of your question here is to describe Mary's care or the difficulties or impacts that it had on our lives. Although that I think comes in to play as we talk about how uh, a church should minister to members impacted by disability. Um, so with that as a, um, kind of very, very high altitude um, understanding of um, our background. I would also uh, say that um, disabilities are, it's, <laughs> the world of disabilities is extremely complex. Um, and what is true for one situation may not be true for another. So one of the lead answers uh, that I would give to your question of how members should seek to minister to families who have children with special needs is to um, not go in thinking that they're um, an expert just because they um, have a friend who's in a wheelchair and that's a disability, right? It's a legitimate one and there's real impacts and I'm not minimizing it, but that's very different from say a child who has autism uh, versus a child like my daughter. So it's a it's a very complex world um, in terms of the problems that you're dealing with and the capabilities of the children. So uh, I guess that's that's the lead thing. Uh, take some time to find out what's really going on. And uh, if I were to chase a rabbit, which I'm prone to do, um, one of the concerns I have in the church writ large, I'm not necessarily speaking to RP church, although it's true for us too, is that um, we like to um, think we're doing ministry and are looking for something that will, um, I guess, put a bandaid on our conscience or whatever. We've, um, we brought a meal and that's, that's a wonderful thing. It's very helpful in certain contexts, but uh, one of the things that people need to understand about uh, disability, be it the um, the caregivers or the um, child themselves, is that um, this is this is a problem that doesn't go away. Um, Stephanie Huback uh, was the head of the PCA Disability Ministries, and she wrote a little book called um, "I Always Mix This Up." Um, same lake, different boat. And the idea is we're all on the same lake, but some of us are riding very, very different boats. And, um, well, 
maybe enough said. Uh, you need to know what you're dealing with before you begin to bring uh, help to it. And you need to realize that, as uh, Stephanie Hubach wrote, um, disabilities are not like, um, and again, I'm not minimizing, we pray for somebody who goes in for a heart operation. Mm -hmm. Super serious. Of course we do that. But, you know, if in the Lord's good grace there's healing, that person moves on with their life, um, you know, problem is, you know, perhaps resolved. Um, I, I, I'm not trying, I don't want to simplify that. I know there are ramifications to a heart issue, but I'm just trying to give a concept. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas uh, disabilities are, uh, Hubeck uses the word, it's relentless. It just never goes away. So people in the church need to recognize that this is not a one-off help situation. Um, which direction to go here? Um, one of the things I speak to um, the uh, TFY kids about the uh, the Acla ministry class, the readiness for ministry class, is the idea that um, I guess I, I would say challenging um, people is what they intellectually believe really what they believe. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but we would all say we love and value people. Mm -hmm. But yet when we are faced with somebody who is so different or so limited, there it's it's very easy for a condescension to creep into the way we deal with people. And we need to realize you know, these are real people. <laughs> they have real needs. They they may not be able to express them in the same way. Or perhaps, um, I don't know, somebody who's in a wheelchair or who simply has a physical disability, um, all of a sudden we're treating them like they're intellectually compromised. I mean, mm -hmm. This is just not fitting for us as a church. So we need to really square in our own minds um do I really believe what I say I believe? And that is that all humans are um, image bearers of God and have dignity and have value. Um, I'm sure there's more I'm going to uh, say on this, but I, part of me wants to just pause for a second, see if you guys have mm -hmm. interaction with anything I, I, I've said. Uh, tell me to keep going, redirect or whatever. Um, well, with the, uh, the, the condescension thing, the un, un, witting condescension um by that you mean how you know our body language and the the vocabulary that we use when we're speaking to those with disabilities is that what you're getting at or something different oh it, it can be a whole host of things okay it it can be speaking louder when there's mm -hmm. not a hearing problem involved mm -hmm. right dumbing our language down talking to them like they're a child rather than as an adult um, yes, it could be a body language thing. Um, it could even be, okay, I'll personalize this. I tell the kids that, um, well, jokingly, in my previous life, I was a band director, okay? Um, so I'd take the kids to, um, like Cedar Point, the amusement park in Ohio as a, uh, an award trip or whatever for, um, participation in the summer. And, uh, maybe I'd see a disabled child, right? And I might have my token sense of, oh, gee, that's too bad. And I'd move on. Mm -hmm. Well, I'd say, in a sense, that's a 
I don't know if condescension is exactly fitting there, but I'm going to wrap it under that umbrella. I'm really not treating that person as an image bearer, nor am I ministering to the caregiver. And frankly, that's part of where my real heart lies. Uh, uh, let me, I'll slip over into the disability ministries in a second here. Um, having had Mary, I now recognize, you know, specialized medical equipment and whatnot. And if I'm out and I see somebody in a tiger chair or an adaptive wheelchair or whatever, um, I'm not going to tell you I'm perfect, but I'll go over to them. Mm -hmm. I'll get down on my knees. I'll talk to that child, even if they're uh, spastic and drooling or whatever. And that makes so many of us uncomfortable. But I'll tell you what, um, obviously, I don't know what's happening in that child's mind, perhaps. But I can tell you that that's probably one of the first times that somebody's treated that child with dignity. And uh, that's a huge ministry to the parent, to mm -hmm. the caregiver. Um, because, oh, somebody actually values my kid. <laughs> right. Um, we were so fortunate at North Hills. Um, how, do, how do I again summarize lots of details here? Um, I came to seminary thinking I was going to be a church planter. And then uh, God clearly <laughs> redirected us. Um, but uh, we ended up going to North Hills in the evenings and discovered this congregation where uh, John and Marge Russell, they've passed on recently, um, but uh, they had a daughter named Rachel. And R Rachel was profoundly disabled also. And we had... Uh, uh, what uh down syndrome child we had a uh, woman with um uh, muscular dystrophy we um have an autistic child that visits and we just came to a congregation that understood mm -hmm. right what it was to be disabled and and wasn't intimidated and um people would do the things that i was talking about right you know, come up and talk to mary and you know there was no way mary was ever going to respond but she did hear Mm -hmm. I mean, that was one of the senses that you know was was pretty good for her, pretty acute. Um, and uh, you know she would she would smile. She she knew people who actually took time uh, to to listen. Uh, I, my mind is just uh, chasing a few rabbits again here. I remember we had a an aide coming into the house. Nobody in the church. This is you know services coming in, and she said, "I just can't get her to do anything." And then one day, another woman came in who was just really bubbly and really focused on her and really mm -hmm. treated her like a, you know, a, a, a human being. And Mary just perked up. And this other person was like, how did this happen? It's like, well, Mary knows. Mm -hmm. <laughs> as injured as she is, Mary knows mm -hmm. who cares and who doesn't. Um, so I, I, I guess I hope I'm making different points. Uh, going up to somebody and talking to them regardless of what kind of response you get because you don't know what you're ministering to them. Um, this isn't disability, but I remember early in my ministry, there was a woman who had a massive braid aneurysm and I went to the emergency room and she was basically very close to death, uh, totally unresponsive. And they they say the last thing to go is hearing. I'm preaching the gospel to her, right? I don't know what happened. I don't know what she heard. I don't. 
enough. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so uh, if you are willing, I chase the caregiver uh, portion of this for a second, yes, if that's please. okay. Please, yes. Um, you you asked, at least in the sheet you sent me ahead of time, um, how should the church minister to those with special needs um, and how to minister to families with special needs? And I think that's... Um, okay, let me back up. I'm on the denominations disability um, committee. Mm-hmm. And I really love, the committee's a great group of people. And um, Rich Johnson from uh, Second RP is um, the on the committee also. And what I really like is that Rich and I care about disabilities. But as you well know, in ministry, we all have, you know, slightly different focuses uh, or an emphasis or, you know, just something gives us, it's more of a passion or whatever. So, well, I certainly care about the person who's uh, disabled because of my experience. Part of my heart is really for the people who are caring for the disabled. Okay. Mm-hmm. And Rich has a whole ministry directly to the disabled, right? So it's this wonderful balance on the committee. Um, and how do you minister to a family um, who is dealing with uh, something this major? Um well, you need to recognize that uh, again, it's not a one-off thing. This is a, to use Hubach's term, a relentless um, problem, and it's where you don't go in and think you have all the answers. You find out what the needs are, and it's it's just you guys are you know you're pastors. You you know people are complex. Some people want help. Some people don't mm-hmm. want help. Is it pride or is there a real legitimate, you know, reason for it? So there has to be a willingness to learn and to ask and to to not judge when, you know, no, I can't receive that, but maybe there's something else I could receive. So let me illustrate from our context. And remember, it's my context, but not um, true for all situations, obviously. So... Mary was enormously um, medically involved and complicated. Um, I mean, I can tell you stories of the number of times she was intubated, um, you know, in the hospital for 40 days. Mm. Um, And, you know, my wife and I lived at the hospital at that point, literally 24-7. One of us was there, even though it was the PICU which are super people, super, I mean, we're, <laughs> we were thankful. They oftentimes would discharge us from the PICU, PICU instead of sending us to a floor because that's how complicated Mary was, right? And mm-hmm. they, they knew that we could do deal with it. But um, uh, and we knew how, we were doing sterile dressing changes. We were doing, um, well, I won't go into the weeds there. The point is she was complicated. And even with a nurse, we had a nurse one time, we came in and she had drawn up a medicine using a 10 cc syringe. And the dosage was supposed to be 0.3 of a cc. Mm. And she had drawn up three. Okay. It was a huge dose. Probably would have been lethal. Thankfully, we caught her, right? And... um 
she wasn't with us after that point. But um, the point is, uh, somebody saying, "Oh, hey, we'll um, we'll come watch Mary for you." Well, that's a great offer. That's a kind offer. But guess what? We're not going to let you do that until we've worked with you and you know what you're doing, right? Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, there were other things that could be done. So being willing to say, um, I'm willing to invest the time to learn what's necessary, or maybe I don't have that kind of time, but I could go grocery shopping, or I mm -hmm. could um, give you, um, okay, let me, let me illustrate. Uh, I don't know what the going rate for babysitting is. Um, some 10 to 15. Is that fair? I don't know. Uh, your listeners can uh, adjust <laughs> it to their local area. Um, <laughs> well, the point is for us to go out to dinner, we weren't hiring a babysitter. We had to hire a nurse. Mm. Okay. Now we're talking substantially more, maybe mm -hmm. up to 30 bucks an hour, right? All right, so get your four hours, 120 bucks, add your meal. Hmm, a simple date is now a couple hundred bucks, right? Mm -hmm. All right, well, maybe there's, we're going to help you go out for dinner or whatever. I'm just, I'm just spitballing. I'm just trying to throw out examples. Um, so, uh, I could, there's a lot more I say to the classes. Uh, another thing to avoid is 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 judgment. Um, you know that I can illustrate in a whole host of ways. I mean, when Mary was born, well-meaning person from um, another branch of Christ Church um, uh, thought that it would be uh, appropriate to uh, pray for her brain to be replaced. Um, well, that wasn't real helpful at that point, <laughs> right? Um, but also, well, I've been dealing with receiving care, right? Um, not not judging right away whether or not uh, it could be pride. We had to conquer that. We had a lot of people in and out of our house. Oh. Early on, Jerry O'Neill sent out a, a fabulous letter to the seminary community and all of his contacts. And we were doing a, a, a neurodevelopmental program Um and it involved a lot of exercises with Mary. And it was, we did not have much privacy. <laughs> That's an adjustment. But it's also kind of a, a hard thing for your pride to have. I mean, Wayne Spear is the greatest, <laughs> most godly man you will ever meet, right? So gentle, so humble. But it was it was hard that first time when Wayne came over to help with the exercises, takes off his coat, takes off his tie, sits down on the floor, and we're freaking out, thinking this is our seminary professor, right? Mm -hmm. Well, what would have happened if we said, well, we, we, we don't want you to do that. Well, you maybe needed to challenge us about our pride. Mm -hmm. But maybe in another situation, we're trying to say, no, we don't think you should do that. And there's actually a good reason. So the point is, finding out enough before rushing to judgment or giving, you know, definitive spiritual counsel, right? There's a, there's a lot to cipher through. I'm going to pause. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I think in a sense, we've answered the question. There's, there's certainly um, things I can, you know, say, but um, I know you have other questions. 
Yeah, well, I'll just ask one more before maybe uh, we, sure. we move on. When it comes to, this is something you said earlier on, um, was don't assume that you know things. And so, you know, we live in an age where everybody's a Google expert when something pops up, right? Um, it, now, my instinct is to say, don't Google someone's problem, but go talk to them about um, how you can minister to them. When you say don't assume things, you mean go talk to the the parents and ask questions, have them explain things to you before you start keyboarding things, you know? Uh, among other things, okay. among other things, because I mean, one of the things I talk about in the classes is it, part of the complexity is not only the disability itself, but consider the family dynamics, right? How are the people themselves handling the emotional stress, trauma of the event, okay? Um, maybe I could illustrate it this way. Um, okay, this happened at seminary. I will leave all names out, okay? But it's a true story. When Mary was born, we didn't know it at the start, but her gastro reflux was, I think they told us, like in the top 99%, mm -hmm. right? I mean, she was, when we finally had a scope done about a year later, her esophagus was literally eroding and bleeding, okay? And that first year, she cried, I could almost say 24-7. Um, I'll go 23.57, okay? I, I'm not exaggerating here. Mm -hmm. It was the kind of thing where we were exhausted, and I would hold Mary for a couple of hours, and Kathy would get some sleep, and I'd get to the end of myself, my ability to cope with it. I'm dog-tired. I'm trying to do my classes. You gotta, we've got two boys at the same time bring you know go upstairs get kathy your turn right and we'd flop and then i'll take her again for another couple hours so in that first year i think i could i think i can say truthfully that i could count on my two hands the number of nights sleep that were better than six or even six hours as a good night with mm -hmm. uninterrupted sleep it just it never almost never happened okay so Here's an example. Um, I was exhausted and I'm dealing with Mary's care, our two boys, trying to care for my wife. I was late to morning class. And bless the professor's heart. I love the man. I was reprimanded for being late. Hmm. Okay. So um, forgive me, but hello. Did you spend the night with me last night? Let's not jump on the judgment so quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that happened. It's fine. He's a lovely man. It's it's not a big deal. It's 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 the history, right? Mm -hmm. But it, it's that kind of thing. Just just don't think that life's normal and that you can judge stuff. Um, I let me. I just thought of something else that's really important. I think. Um, for people to realize in terms of helping, the statistics are that when something like this happens, it's like nine out of 10 husbands leave. Hmm. Now, wives can do it too. Okay. We're not, we'll be equal opportunity bashers here. But, uh, but just, let's, let's just imagine um, that um, the husband's left, the wife is left with a super high need situation. She needs to work, okay? 
So she does, she manages to find a job, probably not one that's going to be as high paying. And then she's going to come home. She's going to be tired from work. She's going to need to assume care, assuming she was able to cobble together care for her child. And then she's got to get sleep somewhere along the way. And where is she going to find time to learn about the supports that are out there? Mm. It's almost impossible. We were so thankful that John and Marge Russell, um, John literally had taken a full year off of his teaching position in order to learn the uh, the social network system. It's that complex. Now that can open up a whole other can of worms. And I'm just gonna say to your, uh, your uh, listeners that the state does have a role. Read Calvin's uh, minutes at the consistory of Geneva. And uh, it's, that's what brought me to comfort with it. Um, but, you know, there's there's no way to, to even learn the system. And so be aware. Maybe that's a place you can help. I'll go explore that for you. Mm-hmm. Believe me, it's complicated. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, talking about financial planning. I mean, I just throw the things out. I mean, there's lots of places people can help where the person who's involved doesn't have the time to do it. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'll leave it there. Okay. No, that, that answering all, or yeah no that was that was all great i've i've still held on to that sheet that you gave us in Whitla's class and has a lot of the practical things on it that you've mentioned and is just a helpful resource and you touched on on most of the main things i think we were hoping you would uh touch on um to, to kind of yeah I know you're, go. I, you're you're gonna phase here but i just saw something i am on the sure. disability ministries committee and one of our desires, since I'm speaking to an audience that this is directed to, mm-hmm. is that the uh, the churches, the pastors, the elders would recognize that our committee is there to help. Um, years ago, Colorado Springs had a, a, a terrible situation where a child had a vitamin K deficiency, a same kind of situation. Um, different cause but ended up the child ended up very like much like mary and uh dave reese was pastor at the time at uh at springs and um they invited us out i went out twice and uh worked with the family worked with the session worked with the deacons you know answering these very questions responding to the unique needs that they were articulating and brainstorming with them and I would love to see that happen and have the denomination take advantage of us um, to, to, to come and help and to, to, to speak to them if there's a need, right? Um, sometimes there's a, a traumatic event um, and the pastor in the session is they're, they're scrambling. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to help this family. Well, that's why we're here. We're not, we're not, we're not coming to take over. We're not the knight in shining armor. You guys are going to be in the trenches doing the hard work, but you know, we're, we're a resource. We've walked it. Rich has walked it with one uh, situation. I've walked it with another. Some of the other members have experience with other, you know, so it's there. I just think that's, I want, I wanted to make sure I got that out. Mm-hmm. No, that's <laughs> good. How, how, how can a session uh, or, or a deacon board go about reaching out and getting in contact with you guys? Well, we should be listed in minutes of synod. Um, and if not, uh, you know, certainly, uh, my email, Rich Johnson's email, uh, are in the, uh, 
um, you know, the yearbook um, at the back of the Minutes of Synod. Uh, Bill Weir uh, is a uh, treasurer for us. Uh, Nola Youngman um, and uh, Debbie O'Neill. Also, um, Karen Adams, uh, all of them with various uh, exposures and expertise in, in the area. Um, I know Debbie's worked at the state kind of uh, programmatically, um, you know, with uh, supports in, in the state of Kansas and whatnot. So um, anyway. Cool. No, that's that's great. Um, yeah, shifting shifting gears now. Uh, we just our last guest was a man who's uh, kind of in team ministry. And as as we covered in that episode, certainly Presbyterian ministry is team ministry. Uh, you're serving with a session of elders there. But anytime we have an opportunity uh, to have men on who are serving alongside another full-time teaching elder, uh, we like to ask them uh, what that's like, what some of the, you can think in the terms of pros and cons or blessings and challenges, uh, but but what, what are some of the blessings and challenges of team ministry in the sense of serving alongside another full-time teaching elder? number of directions to to chase this um i think one of the pros for the church is the ability to have um the strength of uh multiple gifts right none of us are gifted in every area and uh I'm I'm going to avoid speaking about specific gifts in my contacts here, but you know Harry and I balance each other, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the I think the biggest thing that people need to be aware of is, and I think I've seen this unfortunately be problematic in some situations that I've observed. Is let me back up. Prior to coming into the ministry, I had uh, taught for a couple of years in um, public school. I had, uh, and I was serving as an assistant band director there. Uh, my second position, I was the band director. I was the music department chair. Uh, so I ran the department, you know, did budgets, did, you know, all everything I went with it, right? And I moved on and I taught at the college level for six years. So I came in with a little bit more life experience um, than perhaps some of the younger men who have come into co-pastorates. Words are such tricky things and it's so easy for people (laughs) to misinterpret. Uh, So I hope your readers will have, uh, your readers, your listeners will have grace with me as I say this. I certainly recognize... um, you know, I'm not God's gift to any particular area. I came in with a little bit of maturity and with a little bit of experience. Um, I was capable of leading. I had led. Um, and early on, I think literally from the beginning, I was committed to a principle that I was not going to be a second leader in the context of co of co-ministry. Um we are Presbyterian. We believe in the parity of, of, of the eldership. I, I agree with our denomination's position. I'm, I'm not trying to raise any uh, uh, controversy <laughs> here. You know, we're 2.5. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
in terms of the eldership. Um, and uh, that's a different question. But uh, so my point is, we, we do believe in parity, right? But nonetheless, God gives us practical wisdom. And um, you, a church can't serve two masters, to use Jesus' words slightly out of context. <laughs> um, you know, if, if Harry had one emphasis and I have another emphasis, it's not for me to try to wave my flag and, you know, overshadow his emphasis. Um, so from the beginning, I committed to supporting whatever the session decided and allow, not allowing, that comes out wrong, but following, submitting mm -hmm. to leadership, you know, um, in a sense, uh, from Harry as senior pastor, right? Now, does that not mean, does that mean that I'm not involved or I'm not leading? No, not at all, right? But it's just a very conscious decision to not be setting up a divergent um, vision of ministry mm -hmm. or or direction, supporting the direction. And then whenever I'm given um, freedom you know, a project or asked to do something, you know, run with it and express the leadership, right? And go for it. But always, I think the principle that's guided me is that, maybe I'll step on a few of your listeners' toes here. Um, sometimes uh, having every one of our uh, theological I's and T's dotted is less important than the unity of Christ church, okay? Now, obviously, there's a, a scale of issues and whatnot. And, you know, when North Hills is like every church, right? It's a strong session, strong thinking men. There are no pushovers on, on this session. And that's actually one of the, sure, it can be frustrating at times. Absolutely. But the, you know what? It's also what's really beautiful and really good. Um, because whatever decision is going to be made is going to be thought through. It's going to, you know, be pushed on. And so making a commitment early on, we're, we're walking together publicly. And if there's an issue, we'll talk privately. And thankfully, I mean, sure, every, like it's perfectly normal, right? Not everybody always sees everything the same way. So there's been some rare opportunities where we've had some discussions, you know, but privately or in session. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge commitment, I think, for, uh, whoever's taking that uh, associate or assistant position or whatever to, to make that commitment. It's much more important. It's not about you, right? I mean, all of us as pastors should recognize that. It's not about us. I don't know about you guys, but every time I walk in the pulpit, you know, there's there's the human desire for somebody to say, oh, good sermon, pastor. Mm -hmm. And I'm always having to say, um, not about me. God. Not about me. Glorify yourself. Feed your people. Right? Um, so that principle carries forward into, you know, being seen as being in charge. No, you're not. Come on. That's an ego trip. Give it up. Learn to die. Do it. Serve. <laughs> That's kind of a, there's, there's my initial answer. Push me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, no. I think, I think that was, uh, I think that was wonderful and helpful and a lot of principles there that can be applied just to even non 
team ministry, a lot of things. Like I said, you can take what you just said and and apply it almost to any situation since Presbyterianism, broadly speaking, is a team ministry. But um, that was good. What 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 are some of the other maybe blessings about um, you know maybe when it comes to preaching and teaching schedules or doing visitations or answering calls or maybe having another full time man just down the hallway? Are there any other just kind of blessings that that you've come to find and appreciate it with full time team ministry that especially other guys who uh, you know at at our old congregation at Southside, uh, we called Ian Wise shortly before I left, and he wasn't a guy coming just right out of seminary. So, you know, it could be just anybody in the denomination who has an opportunity for whatever reason for team ministry or a guy coming out of seminary. Uh, John Sturm just took an associate call at, at Lafayette there. So just, right. what are what are some of the other uh, blessings or cons? You already mentioned some, but there, are there any others that come to mind there um, that you could mention? Well, absolutely. I mean, uh, maybe I'm elaborating on uh, on the one. Um, I'll just use myself. Um, do I enjoy evangelism? Yeah. I've had the privilege of leading some people to faith through, uh, um, I mean, I, I, point is not to tell the stories now, but one over a very slow process of a year and a half, regular weekly visitation to a hurting person finally coming to faith, right? Um, another one through an investigative Bible study, right? That's thrilling. I love it. Thrive on people asking questions. But having said that, it's not my first thing, mm-hmm. right? You know, my, my passion is more as a teacher, right? Um, I enjoy uh, the, the teaching, preaching ministry very much. Um, and, uh, you know, Harry is um, discipleship and evangelism. You know, that's, that's his thing. So that's a blessing. It's not a, a, a an issue of competition. It's great, you know. Go run, go be blessed, because it it uh, it just strengthens the total ministry of the church, right? Um, so the 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 multifaceted nature of the gifts that are available for the church to use is just it's huge. Um, I mean, I think we are stronger because of it. Um, I've been able to develop and work on the CE program. You know, Harry has been, I can't tell you how many different outreach things we've done, right? Well, he's the creative genius behind most of that, right? Um, he's the one that's involved in, in so many of those outside activities. And so kind of a, one of your questions about burnout at the end, you know, my personal answer is, is recognizing I don't have to do everything, right? Harry's running with this great his baby i'm not on the evangelism committee anymore i don't have to be there i don't have to feel guilty for not mm-hmm. being there right um and uh conversely you know uh, i co-chair with one of the members of the congregation the ce committee harry's not on that i run with it right i think we've got a pretty elaborate you know uh program i i hope it's well thought out right and um so as a result the church is is, is getting both <laughs> and that's a huge mm-hmm. blessing Mm-hmm. Um, well, the simple fellowship of it, right? I mean, we actually have three pastors at North Hills, right? It's not just a co-pastorate. We have Matthew Ma down at the mm-hmm. uh, uh, end of the hall. Mm-hmm. And that sounds like a funny expression, but, you know, North Hills has got the, the sanctuary in one end of the building. There's a hall connecting, and then there's the fellowship hall. 
And so the, the fellowship hall, simultaneously with the uh, regular sanctuary, we have worship going on in English and worship going on in Mandarin every morning, mm -hmm. right? And we're trying to make it one congregation, despite the fact that there's this language, you know, kind of thing that we have to cross. But we do we do everything in our power to to connect these groups, and um, it's been it's been wonderful to be able to, you know, uh, we we meet weekly, Harry and Matthew and I. We pray for the congregation. We talk about ministry, and we talk about the you know the issues and how we're going to handle things, and um, yeah. I hope I'm answering. <laughs> no, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, that was great. I, I don't think a question we have asked anybody yet. I was happy Aaron uh, put this on here this week. I don't, we could have, but I don't think we've asked, um, how, how, how can members, uh, properly and rightly relate, uh, to having two active teaching elders? Cause it can be another one of those things like people at Southside are pretty used to it now and have been there before Ian Wise got there. But but Lafayette, for instance, just got an associate. So that's an adjustment, not just for Adam Neese there and John Sturm, but for the congregation. So how what what have you learned over the years as far as how should members and, and some of the things you could draw inferences from things you've said already, but some other helpful tips or thoughts on members relating to having two active teaching elders? <laughs> I've I'm very tempted to take your question a slightly different direction and then make me return to it. However you um, want to take it, go. <laughs> um, I'm I'm going to make it a broader question than just members right now. Uh, how does the denomination, how do the other ordained men in the denomination look at assistant associate pastors? Second class or equal right sure. and um the the number of times over the years and uh, i just use this as illustration i was asked well martin when are you gonna go get your own church mm -hmm. right well first of all i mean that's part of god's providence right with mary we were very very tied to pittsburgh for multitude of reasons the hospital uh all the care network we had set up and the adaptions we'd done to our house. I just wasn't free to move, right? Um, but written into that is somehow, if you're not senior, if you don't have your own church, you're not quite really a pastor. Mm -hmm. Okay. And yeah, I've, I've picked that up. I'm aware of it. But, you know, um, what's my response to the guys who are in that position? grow up it's not about you <laughs> <laughs> yeah. die to your pride mm -hmm. <laughs> um but uh in a sense that i think is germane to the local congregation you know is this just the extra hired hand helping out the real guy or is this guy fully your pastor okay now at that point, how do you do that? Well, there's, I mean, let's be honest. There's, there's, a, there's a process of earning people's trust, right? So that's on the guy. But on the other hand, people have to be willing to give their trust, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? And um, the default starting position shouldn't be he's second class. He's just the helper, right? He's here. We called him. He's doing a function. Mm -hmm. 
Um, is that answering enough or? Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that, that was helpful. Um, I just, I don't think we had asked that question yet. I thought, I thought your little touch there on, uh, the ministry as a whole, um, or I'm sorry, the denomination as a whole was helpful as well. Uh, that's something I wouldn't have thought to ask, but it's definitely something that that guys can fall into. So no, I think I think you handled that question. No, go on. No, yeah, so say you, we're on Zoom. I know your listeners are only hearing the audio, but you know, look at the the, the silver hair here, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, at this point, I'm willing to say a few of those things, and I'm not too worried. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> That's probably why guys ask for us to have uh we, we we get emails from guys, you know, that we reach out to that maybe only have five, ten, fifteen years in the ministry, and they're all clamoring to have guys on with twenty plus years or something like that, or or just with a lot more life experience, uh, so that they can hear things like this, you know, guys that, you know, uh have uh not only the boldness to say something that they believe is true, but guys that have the experience and the weight behind saying such things. So I think it's great. That's great. I, I do want to back. I'll, I'll walk it back this far. It was meant to be loving. It's not not out of anger. Or anything I like that. I certainly took it as a uh, loving uh, encouragement from an older brother. So no. that, that's how I took it. But um, one of the things that you said when you were talking about kind of different gifts that uh, you and Harry have, Harry being kind of more focused on the outreach or the building out of the church, and, and you're focused on kind of the uh, preaching, the building up of the church, this kind of goes into our preaching question. Um, what is your philosophy of preaching? What What is preaching? Why is it important? How do you go about structuring a sermon? What are the things that you're trying to hit and... Um, in what ways are you trying to exhort and encourage and admonish and teach the congregation? I'm throwing a lot at you. And then I'm going to throw one, <laughs> one more just to consider, because this is, this was I actually hope you got these written down. Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of them are written down. Um, but this one is from a, from a listener who asks, you know, how important is it that we have a call to faith and repentance in our sermons, you know, week in, week out. So there's that uh, kind of hodgepodge of jello. I just threw at the wall. Let's see what sticks and answer it. How you, uh, how you may. Well, as, as always, um, you, you will need to remind me of that you threw a lot of questions underneath one umbrella. So I'll start answering and follow up with whatever you want. Um, some of the things have to be answered contextually. Um, you go into a congregation and um, you uh, say, for example, North Hills. Okay. Fairly well-grounded congregation. But because Harry's doing lots of outreach and we get new people and et cetera. Always have to be remembering, <laughs> maybe there's somebody who does need that call to faith, right? Mm -hmm. And we shouldn't forget that. But uh, maybe in another context, uh, you're doing a church plant. That might be much more bread and butter every, 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 every week. Um, so let me just start with what I have in front of me that you sent me ahead of time, and then you can follow up with those specific questions again. Philosophy of preaching. Um, I'm going to give this to you by a story. Uh, when I was in seminary, there was a, a period of time where there was this movement that uh, all that mattered, the only thing that ministry was about was the pulpit. Okay? Now hang with me and we'll get the whole answer out here before mm -hmm. there's any... Any reaction on the part of uh, your listeners? Um, and there was kind of a disdain among some of these men, right? That, oh, going out and doing evangelism, 
you know, nonsense. Um, you know, the pulpit is, is, is everything, right? And, you know, leading Bible studies and, you know, doing whatever to, to visit people, you know, far less important. Well, I walked, there's a group of them talking one day, and I was indeed older at that point than these guys. And um, I said, uh, guys, you, uh, you got things wrong. The ministry is hard, not because it's one or the other. It's because it's both and. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, if you want my philosophy of, of, of preaching, I believe the pulpit is central. It's essential. I, I mean, I, I still to this day follow Danny Pruto's uh, understanding of um, and what worship is all about, right? It's a, it's a dialogue. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're, we're meeting with the king. And in a special way, God takes up presence in our midst every Sabbath. This is a unique time. Right. It's not like your private devotions and you should be doing your private devotions. But there's something unique and powerful about the morning worship service and the evening worship service. Let me put that plug in. Um, so um, it's it's central. It's important. It must be done. It must be done well. Right. And yeah, I don't do it perfectly. Um, the uh, preaching needs to keep in mind who the audience is. Right. What do they know? What do they don't know? What's their age? We need to be preaching to the old. We need to be preaching to the young. I mean, <laughs> brothers, nobody's sufficient for this task. You can't do it. You can't do it perfectly. Um, so um, I, I hope that says I've uh, the pulpit central. It's just I don't believe it's the only part of ministry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just there's, you know, ministry is people, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, who is it? I know he's not an inspired source, but I'm going to borrow it because I think there's truth here. Uh, Steve Case, I think it was, uh, IBM, said, uh, um, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm -hmm. So until you've held the hand of the sick person in the hospital and prayed with them, until you've cried with the person who just lost their mother, until you've, you're not speaking to people where they're really at. Mm-hmm. You're just giving them knowledge. Mm-hmm. Both and. That's why it's so hard. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, I mean, that gets at the, the heart of a shepherd, right? Because, you know, a shepherd leads, feeds, and protects the sheep. It's He's with the sheep. He's around the sheep. Yeah, I forget who wrote the book, but, you know, uh, the title, Smell Like Sheep, because um, we are to be... <laughs> Involved. I've got it on my shelf. I can't remember the name of it. Um, when you but, get it, send it to me. That sounds like a great. Yeah. Talk. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> um, but what you're talking about, like, okay, is it the pulpit or is it the evangelism, Bible studies, and home visitations? All of that. It's like, well, really, all of this is both. And like you're saying, under the auspice of the word ministry, that that we as pastors are called to uh, minister to our people. Um, all right. I'm not the one to be interviewed, so I'm going to shut up and not give my philosophy. When it comes to your uh, sermon preparation, um, what does that look like? How, you know, when you go from, uh, you know, Monday morning or, or Tuesday morning, if your day off is on Monday from the pulpit, um, what's the process of kind of crafting your sermon uh, for uh, the congregation there in North Hills? Um, varies week to week. I'm not going to give you a formula. For me, other, some everybody's different. Um, I remember somebody saying, uh, one of my mentors saying he always took Monday off, right? Um, that was the way he guarded him, himself. 
kind of gets to your burnout question at the end. Um, I've never been able to pull that off. Hmm. Sorry about my phone here, man. Um, so I actually will take the front part of the week, and this is going to be reversed for a lot of people. And that's where I'm spending actually a lot of time with people. Mm-hmm. Right? I have a lot of appointments. Monday, Wednesday. Um, yesterday was pretty much eight to <laughs> eight to seven thirty, right? Um, and um, well, okay. Let me back up. I'm thankful at North Hills that we are preaching through books exegetically. So every week, I I already know where I'm going next week, mm-hmm. right? I'm in Matthew 22. I'm in the uh, particular passages where the uh, Herodians, the scribes, the Pharisees, et cetera, are beginning to come and challenge Jesus. You know, so I've, I've got a division in my mind. Pro and con. I get teased about it, but uh, at the same time, I think many people, you know, appreciate it. I tend to get into the weeds. I take smaller passages. I don't take a full chapter at a time. I'll, I'll, I'll take a... I think it's what seven or eight verses this week, right? And uh, part of it is because I'm I, I normally preach in the evening, and that's normally a little shorter than in the morning, so um, keep my units a little bit smaller. I'm reading commentaries. I try to interact with the Greek uh, when I'm in the um, in the New Testament, and I'm not as strong in the Hebrew, but I know enough to be dangerous. Uh, mm. So I try to interact <laughs> with the. Um, you know, the original languages and um, people who are able to comment in those. I mean, if nothing else, reading a scholar about what's there, I at least know enough about it to understand what they're saying, right? Mm-hmm. I might not be able to do the original work. Working with commentaries, um, probably one of the most helpful things I did years ago, I I was a paranoid young preacher, even though I was a 40, a 39, 40-year-old man at that point. Um when I came to North Hills, I was preaching to uh, the majority of the, the the seminary faculty at that point. You know, uh, people have passed on, people have moved, all that kind of stuff. But I mean, <laughs> Rick Gamble and Denny Pruto and Bruce Stewart and uh, Calvin Traup, and you know, so I was a little intimidated, right? Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Wayne Spear, <laughs> Ed Robson. <laughs> um, and I was doing manuscript and um, Kelvin was very helpful to me and just, you know, recognizing that the dynamic of communication needed to move to um, uh, an outline form. And I did take his public speaking class. And to this day, I still kind of use that format, right? Um, I've, I've found it personally very effective. Um, it's helped me, uh, um, kind of have a direction that I I'm, I know I'm going um, and it's an imposed structure, but it's a structure that, that works in terms of, you know, introduction, bringing in attention and moving to a point that's in the text, right? Um, certainly, um, you know, trying to uh, you know, illustrate uh, working to pull in I mean, Jesus is a master storyteller, but uh, Steve mm-hmm. Pratt uh, wrote that book. He gave us stories, right? Yep. yep. So um, you got to engage people. You got to bring it to where they can relate 
too. So you know, I'm looking to try to do that. Um, more and more, I've tried to move to the second person. It feels uncomfortable to say you, but mm-hmm. there's a power in saying you. Um, at the same time, I know I'll step on a toe or two here, possibly. Exclusive you, I think, can also become a bit of an arrogant approach. There's a balance here is what I'm saying. Um, to, to, to humbly stand before the congregation and say, you know, the old preacher story, I'm doing the visual for you. There's one finger right. coming your way. There's three coming mine, right? I, I, I'm preaching to myself here, congregation. This includes mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. I think helps. Uh, you were talking about relation. We were talking about relational mm-hmm. elements to the ministry, right? Uh, I'm not. Yes, I am to authoritatively declare the word of God and to apply it to people's lives. I get that. But unless they know that I, too, am one of them and I'm subject to the word, there can be an increasing kind of distance, right, mm-hmm. that I don't think is healthy. So I don't know what the formula is. I, I hate formulas, to be honest with you. Um, but for the sake of just being illustrative, you know, 80, 85 percent you put in the 10, 15 percent, right? 20 percent, whatever, us. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I, I think is a better balance, but um, so tell me what questions I'm not yeah. answering. No, I mean, I think that, that that's good. I think kind of sprinkling in the uh, the plural you and then the, the plural first person, like we, us, you, um, and kind of straying away from the they, them, um, though that's kind of typical with the pronoun arguments we've got going on in culture right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not going to, yeah, I'm not going to, let's not touch that. <laughs> you won't step um, on those toes? <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually think there's a time, it should be, I think it should be rare. We don't want to be talking about ourselves, but there can be a power to saying, I face this. This is what God taught me. Mm-hmm. And that's been part of the blessing of Mary, right? There are things that I can say, I have experienced that touch on your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's great. And, and I mean, just to say to you, I mean, you see even in the book of Hebrews, uh, a, a switch in between the you and the we and the let us and all of that, uh, all right. in that sermonic book there. Um, so yeah, you, you, you've kind of even given some little insights as we go for sake of time. We'll, we'll skip the, the burnout question for now, but you did touch on it helpfully throughout, drop some, some tips here, or there. So we'll, we'll wrap up with the, the two short ways we like to end first. If there just anything that comes to mind, uh, I don't think we got this one to you beforehand, but just any ways our listeners can be in prayer for North Hills right now, uh, for you, for yourself in particular, for your family uh, that you'd be willing to share, uh, give you that opportunity. Well, we're always seeking for, as I've said, you know, Harry's leads us effectively in, um, in evangelism. Um, there's a couple of initiatives that, uh, we pray for people or ask people to, to, to pray that God would use, um, the, um, something we're probably read the Bible challenge, um, going out in the neighborhoods and just giving people a very simple 
you say you don't believe it, have you read it? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Go expose yourself to it. Um, and uh, the, uh, of course, our, our Mandarin ministry, um, well, I was, I was, it's kind of tied together with the English also here. We find ourselves to be an older session. Okay. And we are in the process of um, talking to men uh, about considering the eldership. We're asking the congregation to be praying about this. And so that would be something that we'd appreciate prayer about. We need to, uh, we need to get some, uh, Younger men, and by that I don't mean eighteen-year-olds, mm-hmm. but uh, given that most of us are fifties uh, or above, um, some of us in our seventies, um, we need um, some of the the spry forty-five-year-olds, yeah, yeah, <laughs> late thirties, forties coming mm-hmm. in, yeah. So yeah. that's uh, I'd say that's a biggie. Um, no, the, yeah, no, that's good. Yeah. Thank you. Um, be praying for that and. So now comes the time, now that our episodes are coming out, some of them the same week, uh, there's not sometimes as much mystery with these theological questions, but with the first guy, there always is. The first guy <laughs> in a new month, it's always a mystery because he has no idea. And I sent Aaron three questions earlier, and so he even has no idea uh, what I'm getting ready to ask. I think though. I do. I think I actually do based on something you've already said, so we'll, we'll see. Do you? I yeah. Don't know what I would have said. Um. Uh. Anyways, the 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 other three will probably be the other two will be asked at another time. So so I we want to ask we want to settle the debate about Rahab's lie. Is that where you thought I was going, Aaron? No, I thought you were going with it with a different one. <laughs> okay, that's what I, I didn't think you. Would, I didn't think I said anything that would <laughs> lean towards that. So basically, we want to know was Rahab's lie in that context lawful and right or was it unlawful and wrong what says <laughs> pastor martin blocky i'll find out when i die <laughs> <laughs> um i don't think i'm going to give you a definitive answer to that i'm going to say this um that the imperative to tell the truth is clear and um i know this is answering by way of an anecdote but i believe it was in korea a believer is imprisoned and the guard comes at night and says are you a believer tell the truth risk the wrath of the guard lie betray your faith well yes i am the guard said good i'm helping you escape tonight hmm. uh, telling the truth is the imperative um i what we have in the scripture in a description as you men well know is not necessarily an endorsement for the behavior right it's simply an accurate reflection of what happened Given that I wasn't there, I don't know what the options were, but I suggest perhaps there was another way out. First Corinthians 10, 13, right? That uh, um, would have protected the spies also. But uh, so you, I'm landing 
um, hopefully in a somewhat gracious way. <laughs> no, that's good. Those were helpful. I, I agree with everything you just said there. I thought that was good. Murray, any thoughts or you want to close us out? No, I'm happy to uh, close us out here. This has been a another episode of the Blue Banter podcast, a podcast, kind of an anthology of pastoral theology. Our guest has been Martin Blocky, one of the pastors there at North Hill in uh, Pittsburgh. If you like this podcast, which I hope that you do, please rate and review us on iTunes or whatever podcast catcher you use. You can share this episode on social media. If you have a question you'd like us to ask the pastors that we have on this podcast, or you'd like to suggest that we have your pastor on the podcast, you can email us at bluebanterpodcast at gmail.com, bluebanterpodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, whether you eat, drink, or banter, do all to the glory of God. Bye.